We all worry from time to time, some of us more than others. And Pastor Ed Taylor says, turn to God in prayer next time you're tempted to worry. I find that the longer you walk with Jesus, the more you just recognize he's faithful. And I know worry troubles us. Some of us are more worriers than others. But you know the Lord loves you, even in your worry, even in your concern. Some things are seriously troublesome. And you have concerns, but one of the ways that that I step outside of worry is I start to pray for other people. I start to take my eyes off of myself. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. That you would bear my cross. You laid down your life. That I would be set free. Oh, Jesus, I sleep there are some times in life when nothing but a tall glass of water will satisfy our thirst well today on abounding grace we'll see that only living water can quench our spiritual thirst and maybe that's what you're in need of today as you're empty dry thirsty pastor ed takes us to john chapter 7 verses 25 through 53 as he presents part one of rivers of living water john's gospel chapter 7 We are going to pick up where we left off in verse 25 in our verse-by-verse study through the Gospel of John. Here in the middle of chapter 7, Jesus is in Jerusalem at the middle of the feast, the Feast of Tabernacles. Division surrounds him. His teaching is solid. And behind the scenes, there's a plot hatching to kill him. And yet, When we look at Jesus, he's very set and determined to please the Father. Despite the opposition, his desire is to to fulfill the will of the Father and the purpose for which he came. And so we pick up in verse 25. Then some of them from Jerusalem said, Is this not he whom they seek to kill? But look, he speaks boldly, and they say nothing to him. Do the rulers know indeed that this is truly the Christ? However, we know where this man is from, but when the Christ comes, no one knows where he is from. Now, now one of the things that the religious rulers would often bring up against Jesus were the rumors surrounding his birth. They would remind him and others calling Jesus illegitimate, but he wasn't. He wasn't. Those were just rumors, and they were destructive because they weren't true. And rumors and falsehood can destroy a person's reputation in mere seconds. Do you know our tongue can be so wonderful, can it? Uh, With our tongues, we can praise God. With our tongues, we can sing songs. With our tongues, we can encourage, we can exhort. With our tongues, we can yield ourselves to the work of the Holy Spirit and exercise the spiritual gifts and the manifestations of the Spirit, which often come through the mouth. And yet our tongue can be so problematic at times. Well, turn over from John to James chapter 3 with me. James chapter 3. On the one hand, our tongue can be very encouraging. On the other hand, it can be very problematic. And we see this from James' perspective in James chapter 3, picking up in verse 1. James chapter 3, verse 1. It says, My brethren, let not many of you become teachers, knowing that we will receive the stricter judgment. For we all stumble in many things, And if anyone doesn't stumble in word, he's a perfect man, 
Able also to bridle the whole body. Indeed, we put bits in horses' mouths that they may obey us, and we turn their whole body. Look also at ships. Although they are so large and driven by fierce winds, they're turned by a very small rudder wherever the pilot desires. Even so, the tongue is a little member, but boasts great things. And notice verse 5. See how great a forest a little fire kindles. And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. The tongue is so set among our members that it defiles the whole body and sets on fire the course of nature. It's set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird of reptile creature of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no one can tame the tongue. It is unruly evil, full of deadly poison. With it we bless God and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in the similitude of God. Out of the same mouth proceed blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be so. Have you ever found that to be true in your own life? Often even from just that simple praise of God and then you turn around and you say something that really wasn't edifying, it really didn't please the Lord and sometimes we just let it go in our flesh. You, you know what that is termed often. Uh, you'll, you'll hear someone just go off with their flesh and their tongue and just all the things coming out of their mouth and, and what will they say? Well, you know, I just had to vent on someone. And then you say, well, thanks for venting on me. I really appreciate that. Everything that you had to say. And, and other times people will use their tongue to say things that they ought not. Other times people will use their tongues, you know, unredeemed men and women will use their tongues to teach false teaching. But I find one of the most common and even one of those things that, that seems to even be accepted in the church today is using our tongues with rumor and gossip. And Jesus is facing this here in verse 25, 26, 27, where they think they know where he comes from. It's always been that cloud over his life where he comes from. Even though the Bible says, let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it might impart grace to the hearers, don't grieve the Holy Spirit by whom you were sealed by the day of redemption. We, like these religious rulers, can say things that are untrue. And with rumor and innuendo and, and coarse jesting and dirty jokes and slander, all of those types of things, they just aren't becoming of a man or a woman that they don't really reflect the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. And it would do us well to yield our tongues to the Lord. It would do us well to remember that both things can happen and that we need to pray for the work of the Holy Spirit to guard our tongue. It's not enough just to bite your tongue. That's a temporary solution. And for some of you, if your mouths are that bad, you're not going to have a tongue left. You just can't, oh, I'm just going to bite my, you know, some happens at work, I'm just going to bite my tongue. Well, I mean, that's great that you stopped from saying it, but there's a deeper problem, isn't it? Because it's in your head. Like it's a part of you, these feelings and emotions that are coming up. And so it's more than just deciding, you know, I'm just going to start biting my tongue and, and I just won't say anything. No, you take it one step further because the idea of biting your tongue, which is a, a popular phrase that we use today for just keeping our mouth shut. And, and by the way, if that's all you can do is just bite your tongue and keep your mouth shut, by all means, just do that. Just start there. Start there. That would be wise for us. Let's just start there. But if we really want to grow in grace, if we really want to see the work of the Holy Spirit and give, you know, when we bite our tongue, we, let's say something was, we're thinking something, we bite our tongue and we don't say it, we'd be prone to take the credit for it. You know what I was thinking, but you're glad I didn't say it. Well, well you know, that doesn't give God any glory. Because you're already defiled by your thoughts. Instead of just settling for, you know, I'll bite my tongue. Really work 
at yielding yourself to the power and the work of the Holy Spirit so that he would even remove those thoughts from you, that you would even yield those thoughts. You know, Pastor Chuck Swindoll, he shares how he handles slander and gossip because, you know, slander and gossip is really one of those approved or untalked about, non-talked about sins in the church. But it's deadly and devastating. Not only that, it's not just us maybe saying things about people, but what's even more devastating is for us listening to those things and maybe even believing them before we get the second side of the story. And Chuck Swindoll put it like this, and I quote, Perhaps like me, you've received a phone call from someone who says, I want to tell you about so-and-so. And I'll say, wait a minute, may I quote you? There's usually a long pause. And then they'll say, well, I'm not sure that would be a good idea. And invariably, my answer would be that I'm not interested in hearing what you have to say. If you're not interested in putting your name on it, if you're not interested in being there when we confront the individual, I'm not interested in listening to what you've got to say. And he says, gossip and rumor have ruined many a soul, haven't they? The Proverbs say this in Proverbs 18, verse 21, in the New Living Translation, it says, those who love to talk will experience the consequences for the tongue can kill or nourish life. And that's why gossip rumors talking about people behind their backs are such destructive and unloving sins. You can look these up. Proverbs chapter 11, verse 13. Chapter 17, verse 9. Chapter 18, verse 8. Chapter 20, verse 19. Chapter 26, verse 20. Are all strong rebukes. All strong warnings against gossip and rumors. And I believe gossip and rumors put us as believers right back into the hands of a manipulating and scheming devil. He loves to work, the devil does, in the realm of darkness and shadows and division, which ultimately leads to destruction. And some of the most painful things we experience are not just people lying and slandering about us, but when things are said and believed. Remember Proverbs chapter 18, verse 17 says, again, reading from the New Living Translation, any story sounds true until someone sets the record straight. And there's no room for it among us. Jesus is the recipient of these sins even now. It's important for us to see how deeply blinded we can become or deeply self-deceived. You see, in verse 25, it says, is this not he whom they seek to kill? So they know some information about Jesus. Number one, isn't this the guy they want to kill? So that's the word around town. It was no big secret that there was a plot to hatch to kill Jesus. So isn't this this guy that they wanted to kill, number one? Then secondly, but look, he's speaking boldly, and they say nothing to him. Do the rulers know indeed that he's the Christ, the Messiah? Are, are, have they changed their mind? Do they now believe he's the Messiah? However, verse 27, we know where this man is from. Now, that's a very important phrase. We know where this man is from. But when the Christ comes, no one knows where he is from. So they're refusing to receive the credentials of Jesus because they knew where he was born. They knew he was from Nazareth. And here's their logic. Since nobody knows where the Christ comes from, their understanding of the prophetic scriptures in the Old Testament... And we know where Jesus came from, Nazareth. Their conclusion, which is a false conclusion, is that Jesus can't be the Messiah. And we've talked about this before, how you, you take things and logically think things through, but we have to take that even logic, because I do believe God is very logical and very methodical. I believe he loves to do things decently in order. But at the same time, we have to be careful to question the levels of what we think we know. 
Since nobody knows where the Christ comes from, well, where is that? Where, where's that exactly in the scriptures? Jesus identified himself where he came from. He's already spoken about coming from the Father and returning to the Father. He's already spoke about that his doctrine is from the Father. Not only his physical, but also his spiritual origin. And here is a veiled reference to where they, not only that he came from Nazareth, but also a veiled reference that they, again, are using his illegitimacy, or at least their view of his illegitimacy as a way to just dismiss him. And this is a group where they have some facts, and some of the facts are right, that are completely wrong, and how dangerous that is for us. Now, in verse 28, it says, Jesus cries out as he taught in the temple, saying, you both know me, and you know where I'm from, and I've not come of myself, but he who sent me is true, whom you do not know. But I know him, for I am from him, and he sent me. Then they sought to take him, But no one had laid a hand on him because his hour had not yet come. And many of the people believed in him and said, when the Christ comes, will he do more signs than these which the man has done? Again, in an environment of teaching where he's got a group of people around him, he cries out. He he grabs attention. You know me. You know where I've come from. Joseph, it's, it's almost as if he's saying, Joseph is not my father. I've come from the father, our heavenly father. God is my unique father. And what a sight this must have been, not only in the environment of his teaching, but in Jesus crying out for more attention. There were dozens and dozens and dozens of people that wanted to destroy and kill him, but many others that were very intrigued by him. Many others that were recognizing the boldness and the clarity of his teaching, and he's taking the opportunity to answer and to share the truth. Now, verse 32, it says, The Pharisees heard the crowd murmuring these things concerning him. The Pharisees... And the chief priests and officers to take him. They've had enough. And they think it's his time. And Jesus said to them, I shall be with you a little while longer. And then I go to him who sent me. You will seek me and not find me. And where I am, you cannot come. Then the Jews said among themselves, where does he intend to go that we shall not find him? Does he intend to go to the dispersion among the Greeks and teach the Greeks? What is this thing he said? You you will seek me and not find me. And where I am, you cannot come. There's still a lot of confusion surrounding who Jesus is. Where is he going? What is he doing? Is he going to teach the Jews that have been scattered? Is he going to go to the Gentiles? And so do the people, those who didn't believe, he tells them that they seek him, but they'll never find him. But did the disciples turn over to chapter 14, verse 1? Later on, Jesus will address this very same thing in a different way. John chapter 14, verse 1. To those that don't want to find him, they won't. And they'll seek and seek and seek and never come to the conclusion that Jesus is God, that he's the savior of the world. But to those that know him, notice verse 1 of chapter 14. He says, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I'll come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And where I go, you know, and the way you know. And Thomas said, Lord, we don't know where you're going, and how can we know the way? And notice Jesus takes the time to explain. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. If you'd known me, you'd have known my Father also, and from now on you know him and have seen him. So for one, you can't come. Those that refuse to believe, those that refuse to submit, but to those that really want to follow and those that really want to understand, hey, not only am I leaving, but I'm coming back for you. 
and you know where I'm going. You, you know where I'm going, and even though they're wrestling, you know, you know what do you mean? We don't, we, we don't quite get it. Have you ever been there just in your Bible study where you're reading through, and there's, you, the words are clear, you understand the language, you understand the grammar, but you just don't get the message behind the words. So I'm reading it, but I don't quite understand it. You know, for believers, the Bible says that the Holy Spirit will lead us into understanding. So just be patient. Um, I like to take, uh, in the early days, I used to have a little notebook of questions that I would come up with with uh, my own Bible study. I'd just take out a little notebook and I'd write this down. I, I don't, all my resources that I had at the time, I couldn't find the answer. And then maybe I'd go ask a pastor or I'd ask a friend and, and see if we might not get to that place where that list of questions were less and less. But even then, there are still questions. If I was still, I'm not doing that anymore, but if I was still doing that, uh, putting up a notebook, the questions would be probably less doctrinal and more practical these days. Why, God? Why do you allow this? Why is this? And, and, and the Lord says, well, you know, it's going to be okay, Ed. In, in, the, in eternity, it's going to be righteous and true, and, and you're going to understand it when you're in my presence. And that's still, even that answer is still not enough at times, is it? <laughs> I mean, it's true, and I accept it. And many times it is a great strength to me in my life. But there are times where I just like, I don't know, I don't, what do you mean? What do you mean it's going to be okay? I'm not questioning God. I'm not, I'm not questioning him in the sense where I'm God and he's not. It's just like, you know, hey, my Abba Daddy, I, I don't get it. I don't understand it. And I love in John 14 how he goes, no, hey, you're going to understand. I am the way. Here, here's the answer. I know, I know that you're lacking understanding right now, but here is the answer. And back in John 7, he looks at the Pharisees because they're unbelieving. The, those that wanted to just go send officers and, and arrest him. And Jesus says, I'll be with you a little while longer, and then, and then I'm going to go. You seek me, and you can't find me, and where I am, you cannot come. And the Jews said among themselves, verse 35, where does he intend to go that we shall not find him? And, and they're just asking questions that will never be answered. And I love that passage in John 14 because it reminds me that I have a relationship with Jesus. Uh, I'm not just... Uh, man that goes to church or a man who has his life changed or I'm not just what I do. I'm not just a pastor and my calling in life. I, I'm a man that follows Jesus. He, he died for my sins. He changed my life. He alone gets all the credit for every good thing that's ever happened in my life. And I found in my life that no other relationship has been as sweet as the one I have with Jesus. No other relationship has been as solid. No other relationship has been as strong. And I have a lot of friendships, and they're great. And I have a lot of relationships. I mean, deep, abiding, close relationships, like with my wife or my children. Like, I have great relationship with those that are close. I have a great relationship with this church and what the Lord has done over the years and so many families I've been able to be a part of and what, you know, being there at officiating your wedding or being there to, to be a part of your funeral or being a part of a team, a team of ministry of men and women that serve the Lord. I mean, there's a lot of great relationships, but none compared to my relationship with the Lord. None get that high. I mean, there's some great ones. There's just times when I'll go through his word. There'll be times in my prayer life where Jesus says, you know, Ed, I'll take care of you. It'll be all right. You just trust me. Don't worry or fret. Like he did in Matthew 6. Turn over to Matthew 6. Maybe the Lord is speaking to you about worry. You know, what's going to happen, Jesus? That's really what this essence of this question. What's going to happen? You know, and the Jews were unbelieving. The, the religious rulers were unbelieving here. They're like, you know, who is he going to go that we can't find him? And what is he going to do? And, and, and you're not like that. You're like, you are believing. And you're like, but, but you still don't understand. And you're, you're prone to worry. Well, I find the Lord always reminding me of this. 
in verse 25 of Matthew chapter 6. And, and don't picture and don't, don't receive these words like Jesus with a finger in your chest going, I can't believe you worry. I, I don't see that at all. He's like, the more you understand my role in your life, the more you understand my sufficiency, the more you understand all that I am and all that I can be, the more you understand that I keep my word, that I'll never leave you or forsake you, the more that you understand that I'm going to come through for you, the more you remember how I've come through. He says this. It's just those gentle words. No one can serve. Verse 24. No one can serve two masters, for either he'll hate the one and love the other, or else he'll be loyal to the one and despise the other. You can't serve God and mammon. Therefore, I say to you, don't worry about your life, what you're going to eat or what you're going to drink, nor about your body, what you'll put on. Isn't life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Aren't you of more value than they? Which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to his stature? So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow, and they neither toil nor spin, verse 29. And yet I say to you that even Solomon, in all his glory, was not arrayed like one of these. Now if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, don't worry, saying, what shall we eat, what shall we drink, what shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. Therefore, don't worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. How are you able and how am I able to live out these truths? It's by relationship. I find that the longer you walk with Jesus, the more you just recognize he's faithful. And I know worry troubles us. Some of us are more worriers than others. But you know the Lord loves you, even in your worry, even in your concern. Some things are seriously troublesome, especially as the world is moving forward, evolving toward, not evolution in like in the creation sense, but moving forward rapidly toward the end times and how things are just, I mean, I mean, we have brothers and sisters right now very viciously uh, having their heads cut off. You know, it, it's very real of what's happening toward Christianity today. It's, it's not un, anything unusual even toward those that have lived from the very beginnings. I mean, one of the, one of the books that I would encourage you to read about the reality of, of martyrdom is Fox's Book of Martyrs. I, I think there's even copies PDF now for free online where you can just search Fox's Book of Martyrs and begin to read about what happened in the first century believers. And the persecuted church is huge. The Voice of the Martyrs is a great modern-day ministry that categorizes and keeps up with what's going on around the world. You may want to sign up for their email just so you can start praying for your brothers and sisters. And you have concerns, but one of the ways that, that, that I step outside of worry is I start to pray for other people. I start to take my eyes off of myself. Hey, thanks for joining us today as we study through the Bible and learn of God's abounding grace. This is Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Tanner. Are you interested in hearing this again? It's easy to do when you visit AboundingGraceRadio.com or through our church app. Do a search for Ed Taylor in the App Store or Google Play to download that to your mobile device. And we're really excited about this month's offer, a book written by Steve Carr called Married and How to Stay That Way. This book will help you determine from Scripture the practical ways to resolve your conflicts and how to stop them from reoccurring. 
You'll also learn what the first step should be to building a solid foundation for your marriage and give you a plan for building the relationship you're seeking. That's Married and How to Stay That Way. We'll send it your way with a gift of $25 or more to Abounding Grace today. Call toll-free 877-30-GRACE. Again, we're at 877-30-GRACE. You can also order it through our online store at calvaryco.store. And thank you for your support. We rely on the support of our listeners to bring the teaching of God's Word to stations like this every day. And you know what? We're constantly hearing from folks all over the world that are being blessed, and your gifts help to make that possible. You can donate through our website at AboundingGraceRadio.com. And here's a question. How has Abounding Grace blessed you? We want to hear. And it's easy to share your thoughts and your prayer requests at AboundingGraceRadio.com. Scroll down to the bottom of our homepage and connect with us. Well, there's much more to come in the Gospel of John, and we'll cover more ground on the next Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. We'll see you then. This is amazing grace. Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Church, Colorado, here in Aurora.